0: I've always said that my goal professionally is kind of be best supporting after uh, role when it comes to people starting businesses and kind of pursuing their ideas. And so, um, what I do for a living is just that, like, how do I enable people to really be able to have the resources they need, the financial resources, the mentorship resources, the, the network to really just get their ideas off the ground and kind of make those ideas, something that hopefully in both, sustain them from like a professional standpoint and financial standpoint, but also create a little bit of generational wealth for them and their families.
1: That's the voice of Jason Scott, head of startup developer ecosystems at Google and partner at Anm Fund, a global venture capital fund helping founders scale from inception. When he's not offering his skills and knowledge at Google, you can find Jason working on various investment focused initiatives catered to serving and elevating the ideas and talents of underrepresented founders and entrepreneurs around the world. I'm Bryn Plummer, host of the podcast Twin Day Rethinking Entrepreneurship. Twin Day is key Swahili for Let's Go, and it's our rally cry here at the EC. It represents the vibrant passion and strategy of Nashville's entrepreneurs who continuously strive to grow their businesses. It's also the name of the EC's program dedicated to leveling the playing field for entrepreneurs of color. This show is a production of the EC, and it's all about engaging in open and honest conversations with incredible black and Latinx business experts, investors, and successful founders located throughout Tennessee and other parts of the United States. A common barrier that many entrepreneurs face as they start and scale their businesses is a lack of access to opportunities and resources. And for founders of color specifically, this barrier further sets them at a disadvantage. In today's episode, Jason joins me as he shares his passion and interest for helping entrepreneurs not only bring their ideas to life, but scale their businesses. We will also explore how an idea to educate black Google employees about angel investing turned into a full-blown initiative and the importance of creating diversity in the investment community. Before we dive into today's conversation, we would like to extend a special thank you to the generous support of the David and Rebecca Clements family for making this podcast, Twin Day Rethinking Entrepreneurship, possible. We'll start at the beginning. So Jason, tell us about how you grew up. Um, Tell us, first of all, who you are, say your full name, title if it's relevant, and then uh, tell us about how you grew up, where you grew up, what were some of the experiences, sounds, smells in your household growing up?
0: Yeah, um, that's a great question. So um, for those who might uh, be hearing about me for the first time, my name is Jason Scott. I currently lead a lot of our starter programs here at Google and also outside of my Google life and nights and weekends run a couple of initiatives focused on investing in underrepresented founders and, and entrepreneurs around the world. Um, in terms of where I grew up, so my mom is retired Air Force. So we grew up a little bit all over the place. And so I'd say the most consistent thing about growing up is that it was pretty inconsistent. We moved every <laughs> two years or so. And so um, the one, cons- the other one consistent thing I will say that's different than my life today is my mom uh, hates the cold. So we did always live in <laughs> warm places, particularly a lot of deserts. Uh, I love that your your comment around of what what was the home like and and the sights and the smells and stuff so my family's I say very culturally southern so Mm. uh, despite kind of living in a lot of different places we still had the kind of southern staples when it comes to the foods and and the scents and things like that and Mm. and so that that is something that is indicative of home for me and so my mom now in retirement lives in Atlanta and so when we go back down to Atlanta it's nice to kind of have those like Southern reminders of oh our heck, youth, yeah. um, whether it be the desserts or the, the sides during Thanksgiving, or even even the Krispy Kreme donuts, which I oh <laughs> yeah, don't even get me
1: started. I feel I feel completely bereft that Nashville only has two Krispy Kremes. It's a real short. I think we actually have three. Never mind. I obviously have them mapped, but yeah, it's if it's the proximity to Krispy Kreme that really matters. I remember oh, when we first got one in New York; it was such a big deal.
0: It's crazy because uh, like every time a new one opens up, it's funny when you see the the cars lined up down <laughs> past the highway, right? Um, no, I always joke that like that's the startup that uh, opportunity. There has to be a startup opportunity there somewhere, right? Has <laughs> of, to um, be. How do you, has how do you to scale be. this? Because the demand <laughs> is clearly there. The demand is clearly, clearly, clearly there.
1: Everyone gets hyped when a Krispy Kreme comes to the neighborhood.
0: One hundred percent,
1: as they should. I love hearing about your background. I guess, uh, you know, if your mom were to describe what you do for a living, how would she describe it?
0: Yeah, she'll probably describe it in the way one of the ways I describe it as well. And I think she just caught on to this is like I've always said that my goal professionally is kind of be best supporting actor uh, role when it comes to people starting businesses and kind of pursuing their ideas. And so um, what I do for a living is just that, like, how do I enable people to really be able to have the resources they need, the financial resources, the mentorship resources, the, the network to really just get their ideas off the ground and kind of make those ideas something that hopefully can both sustain them from like a professional standpoint and financial standpoint, but also create a little bit of generational wealth for them and their families. And mm-hmm. so that is my overarching goal. And obviously that comes into play in all, everything that I do professionally and honestly, personally as well. But that's pretty much how she would probably describe it. Is I've always had a little bit of an infatuation with superheroes and 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 those sorts of things, and so I've always kind of thought of myself as the best supporting actor uh, <laughs> when it comes to people's a Robin uh, kind of journals. Yes, yeah, yeah. I okay, that makes
1: total Were you an entrepreneurial kid, or were you someone who like liked to start things or solve problems and wanted to solve them and fix them?
0: I think it's funny. So yes always wanted, wanted to, I guess is the key word there. The, the, uh, <laughs> always wanted to solve the problems and always had like a solution oriented mind. And one thing I've always said though is, so we had this thing, uh, so I went to elementary school and, um, mostly in Georgia. And there was this, um, this thing called event invent America, I think it was called at the time where we literally had to invent something every year as a, as a school assignment. Mm-hmm. And I used to have so much Trouble with this, which is so interesting uh, in retrospect. But I always had trouble, kind of like coming up with something that I thought was like a viable product or something that actually would get me kind of a good grade in that in that in that assignment. But one thing I think I've always realized is that I always admire people who who have that natural knack for innovation and invention. And I think for one thing I do well is really just helping get things done. And so mm. for me, it's always been about like, hey, I might not be the person with the idea always, but I definitely am good at helping people turn their ideas into actual products and so that has been the narrative I guess for me. <laughs> That's uh, been consistent. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I don't, I don't know. I admire entrepreneurs because for some reason I I think I always just like have that doubt of uh will, will someone buy this? <laughs> or will someone do it? <laughs> and then, but then once a startup kind of is on to something, I'm so excited to help them scale it and that is that is where I'm at.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can hop on someone's idea and make it go. I like that. And we need people like that because, you know, it's so easy to be a fast follower. It's hard to be an early adopter. I think that's just a different kind of behavior that people model. And and you went to MIT undergrad. Is that right?
0: I did. I did. So I was pre-med at the time, which is funny. Uh, so I was more on the <laughs> biological sciences, biological engineering side of things. But I um, actually spent a summer working in a hospital and just realized that how much an environment can influence oh, heck yeah. just how happy you are. Yeah. And, and I think for me, the hospital environment was just one that I I found myself just really down and out uh, being in the environment constantly. And I commend mm. those people who are able to do that, especially in the last few years of the pandemic and everything that's going on. But I think that is kind of what always drew me to this world because the environment is one of, of optimism and is one of taking these these ideas and and, and pursuing these grand visions. And, and for me, that excitement is just contagious. And so that is why I think I kind of ended up here. But yeah, I was MIT undergrad and then kind of spent some time doing consulting in the kind of business and innovation space and for larger companies in their R&D departments. And then ultimately decided, hey, let me move to Silicon Valley, move to San Francisco, really pursue mm-hmm. this startup thing. And so really spent a lot of time working with startups in the Bay and then ultimately, Landed in venture capital and spending time supporting startups, both financially, like I said, and operationally and then at Google. And so mm-hmm. it's been a very kind of I wouldn't call it a haphazard journey, but definitely a journey <laughs> that I didn't predict <laughs> when I when I was younger. But at the same time, it's been one that I'm super excited about now because I've just can, kind of continue to follow the doors that have been open
1: for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if people understand even I had an appreciation because I'm pretty new to the world of startups and venture and innovation. I came over here in like 2018. I don't think I had an awareness that this was something that was a discipline you could study, that was something you could be part of, even if you didn't want to found something. I don't think I, when we went to school and I, I imagine we, we are pretty much contemporaries there, I went to school to be a human rights lawyer because I thought, you know, you'd be, you could be a lawyer. You could be a doctor, you can be an engineer. And obviously some of those paths closed more quickly than others because of my freshman science classes. But it just didn't occur to me that this was a field a person could even enter into. And I don't think it even occurred to me that I could go work for a startup. Did you know that, were you like exposed to that startup world at MIT or was
0: it something that was kind of already in your, in your veins? Yeah, honestly, not much. I mean, I used to think people were crazy when they tell me they were of skipping class to work on this startup (laughs) or working on this company and that's the thing when i went to so i ended up going grad school at stanford after i moved to the bay area and that's a start difference right in those regions like i i talk about this all the time there are so many roommates and friends that i had that grew up in palo alto went to palo alto high school went to stanford undergrad went to stanford grad school and they're just immersed in it right they can mm. you can't even walk to lunch or walk to coffee without meeting an entrepreneur or meeting an investor and so i think it's just so indicative of how proximity based this this world big has been big time big time and and that has been honestly one of the biggest barriers it's not even just access from access to capital or access to resources which are definitely problems but it's also just People are a little bit lazy, right? And yeah, when it comes to the investor yeah. community and the sport, and so they they just they oftentimes help the people that are right next to them in, the, yeah. in that in the neighborhood. And so when I was living in that area, that's when I just really realized that this is why you have so many folks coming out of like Stanford and and, and Palo Alto that are starting these companies because they're literally immersed in it from the moment yes. that they're born. And yes. so it really is part of kind of my current mission, right? To How do you kind of eliminate those those barriers of proximity and and really create access? And I would say the one blessing on the other side of the pandemic has been that people have kind of been forced to engage digitally or figure out how to engage regardless of where you are. And hopefully that part remains after where people don't feel the need to have to meet you for coffee in Palo Alto just to hear about your company. Like they're more willing to engage digitally.
1: I feel like I've never been, I feel like I get a new inbound request once a week from some new hub or innovation space or accelerator or what have you that is specifically focused on underrepresented founders, whether that be being in rural parts of the U.S., being off the coast, racially underrepresented, uh, gender underrepresented, LGBTQI status underrepresented. I feel like I've never seen so many things popping up. I think a lot of that is a consequence of the internet being a, a great connector for people and and also being, uh, we had to get innovative about how we worked together and how we found each other because it wasn't just sitting in front of like five dudes in a room and pitching your idea. It had to become, it had to change in some ways more meaningfully than others. Are you, were you aware, I think when you were getting started, did you have a sense that, you know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is that entrepreneurship is so connected to all the other isms in our world of racism, segregation, capitalism, they're all they're all directly intertwined. But did you have a sense when you were first getting started in this world that not only was the world of, you know, the kind of untapped world of black genius, brown genius was out there? Did you have a sense that it was something that would would pull you this idea of of supporting people who are less supported or less allocated resources?
0: Yeah, I I think, again, I didn't know, I don't think I had a sense of how it would come to fruition, but when I think about everything that, even back when I was a pre-med, right, or like even when I was a kid and just infatuated with superheroes, as I mentioned earlier, it's always been this thought of like, how do you help those have equal access and have equal opportunity and, and honestly just lead the happiest, healthiest lives that they can. And, mm. and for me, when I see that discrepancy in access or resources or opportunity, um, that's just something that has always intrinsically motivated me. And so when I was working in venture capital, uh, I tell the story often, there's one day where I was walking down the street of University Avenue in Palo Alto with a friend who happens to be um, another black classmate that I went to MIT with. And he had also kind of stumbled into the Bay Area working for a tech company. And we were looking around and saying, like, hey, I wonder how far we would go down the street or how long we would stand here before we saw anyone else that kind of looked like us, right? Or that mm. had our backgrounds. And so I think that was, for me, a, a switch where I just realized, hey, like, I've had so many doors kind of serendipitously open for me. And I've had so many opportunities that. So many others have not. And and my mission at that point and kind of why I left institutional VC at the time was to, again, create that level of access for other people who Mm. are just as smart, have sometimes even more viable companies, even more profitable companies, but again, aren't proximal, can't walk across the street to a coffee shop and raise capital. And so for me, that was really the shift around kind of the twenty. 17 time frame mm-hmm. 2016 2017 time frame of hey let me figure out ways to really get these resources in this network that i have kind of again stumbled into uh to other people who could do magic with it right mm. and do great things with it so yeah i don't i wouldn't say that it was uh it was intentional by any means i would be lying <laughs> if i said that but at the same time it's not surprising given again like i Grew up, I had such an infatuation with superheroes, and I and I think that's part of why I, I always kind of did have that infatuation because I always like admired the idea of like someone that could kind of stumble into an ability to create change and support and protect mm. and, and 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 change a lot of people's lives.
1: I've not heard this kind of like superhero entrepreneur analogy, but it really does it tracks when I think about so many superhero stories are a person who's an ordinary person going about their life. And then they, you know, get bitten by a spider or they, you know, I I don't know, their parents tell them one day, hey, we're not your real parents. You were born on Krypton, so on and so forth. You know, it's sort of like ordinary people who stumble into extraordinary opportunities or extraordinary circumstances. And, um, yeah, I feel like we need to figure out what your superhero name and costume would be so that we can continue this and met- really close out the metaphor and, oh, and sure, make it sure. live. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, don't ask me, though, because I have a hard time. These are the ones where I have a hard time. uh Deciding uh, clearly, uh, so you you can you can have that privilege, and then we'll go from there. But maybe <laughs> maybe we just go simple. I don't know.
1: <laughs> we'll find a logo artist. We'll make it happen.
0: Exactly. start Start <laughs> with the start with the branding and the imagery, and then we yeah. come up with the name. Yeah,
1: that, that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we we'll work backwards from the brand identity and make sure we come up with something good. So, you how long have you how long were you at Google? whatever it's the time frame for your time at Google?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I uh, came to Google around uh, 2018 actually yes it was it was the week of my birthday actually because I remember thinking that is'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big milestone person and mm. so I was like this this is a this is a great time to kind of make a change so 2018 uh, in may of 2018 is when I joined Google to really lead a lot of this effort to really both align a lot of the work that a lot of these different startup teams are doing to really sp- better support founders at scale, be able to support more founders, be more efficient in how we support founders and really kind of bring all those efforts together. And then decided to raise a fund um, over the kind of the course of the pandemic. And so that was when I basically decided to take a lot of the learnings of Google that I had from Google and the ecosystem work I was doing and really, like I said, figuring out how to best support founders at scale and then apply that outside of the time at Google. And so, but yeah, uh, Google has a great opportunity, right? To reach anyone, anywhere. And so when I think about an institution that can really be the, the game changer in, in uh, approaching that problem I'm, I mentioned around proximity mm. and proximity biases, Right. I, my logic was Google is the place, one of the few places where I could reach an entrepreneur regardless of where they are. They can be in Louisville, Kentucky, or they can be in manila right Mm. and so Mm. i think that was really appealing to me it's like how do we apply some of that same infrastructure Mm -hmm. that a lot of the products that google have to again reach audiences everywhere to to really target founders and really again create kind of equal access and so fun ride um and such an awesome 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 yeah
1: tell me about some of the programs that you were overseeing at the time
0: yeah so i'm i'm it's funny because I, I jokingly say I'm not like an entrepreneur by heart, but I also am like, I love launching things for the first yeah, time. So, what's that? Intra,
1: intrapreneur?
0: <laughs> yeah, intrapreneur? Yeah, intrapreneur is probably the right word. And so um, everything from we launch a lot of a first when it comes to our high touch acceleration programs, particularly for underrepresented founders. So for me it's already in the process of launching a Black Founders Focus program prior to George Floyd's death, um, which also happened to be on my birthday. Mm. And so that day kind of reinforced for me the importance of that work. And so that one has been one of the most important ones, I think, for me personally, uh, out of the programs, but all of them have been great. And so launched our first program focused specifically on women founders, separately also launched programs focused on just topics that I better that near and near to my heart. Um, as someone who spent a lot of time in California, the topic of climate and, and mm-hmm. sustainability has been a top, uh, a big one for me. So launched our first climate climate-focused accelerator, as well as one focused on accessibility as well, which I think um, those are topics that I think are, are not really um, talked about as much in the founder community. And so no, those are great. And in addition to that, um, partner with a few folks to launch some non-dilutive capital grants for For founders and really for me, though, some of the most impactful stuff has been some of the scaled stuff that maybe is less sexy um, (laughs) to talk about, but really building infrastructure to deploy um, Googlers I have a a roster. We call it internally Googlers for startups, but we have a roster of of hundreds of Googlers that I've built over the time that were willing to volunteer upwards of eight hours a week, sometimes as little as eight hours a month spending time, volunteer time working with founders across various kind of expert expertise areas that they have. And so as that has scaled, have also built the infrastructure to be able to deploy that at scale. And so it's been awesome to see our founders, all of that be automated at this point. And that's something that I like wish existed when I was in venture capital and kind of wanted to build. I think a lot of it was legacy. Like, hey, this was a problem we had in in venture capital. We were so limited by the Rolodex and these personal introductions and things like that. And so really came into Google thinking, okay, how do we build this infrastructure for scale? And so it's been so awesome to see all of that kind of just now be automated and now just happen and live um, beyond my time. Right. Um, Where people can founder again, that founder can be a property tech founder in Latin America can connect to that property tech expert in sub-Saharan Africa and they can connect instantly right over and talk about their Mm. um, challenges and so that to me is some of the stuff that maybe gets less talked about because again it's not as PR worthy maybe but I think in terms of impact
1: yeah infrastructure is not hot but it is it's it's uh it's not directly hot but it's indirectly so
0: and and it's (laughs) just every time a founder tells me hey that meeting saved me 3 weeks of work or my team yes. three, 3 months of searching that to me reinforces the importance of it and and again it's 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 just so awesome because it's so scalable. So I would say that's that's the type of stuff that I think I I feel most proud of because it's something that I hope that all of venture can kind of move towards because so much sure. of it is still so okay, you're working on this problem. Who do I know? Let me maybe go on LinkedIn and like see who I know. Oh, let me okay, maybe I'll this one random intro, right? It's just so tedious of a task and and technology has not quite caught up with the venture community.
1: No, yes. And part of it is, I don't know if people have enough, it goes back to proximity. I don't know if people are around enough very early stage founders to know what their day-to-day needs are. I mean, yes, they need guidance, they need mentorship, they need all those things, they need market access, but sometimes you need someone who can give, you know, three to five hours a week to you to work on things that you know, might take you 10 to 12 hours to do because you're having to teach yourself a competence while also deploying it in your business. And I also think it's a model beyond VC. I think there's so many corporate entities that want to get into and get proximity with startups. And there's just nothing like deploying the people that you have under your umbrella to, to go and support those startups directly. I think it, it just builds so much more connective tissue for, on both sides.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think what's awesome is like, it's something that's kind of magical about it is if you are able, and I've always like said this like phrase of your job is always to connect the right people to the right problems, but if you're able to do that, connect the right people to the right problems. Sometimes the neither side views it as work, right? That's the awesome oh, part where you see these people, I often laugh when I, I hear that. I, I reach out to a Googler, catch up with a Googler, and they're like, oh, I still meet once a week with this company. I'm like, it's been two years and you're still meeting <laughs> once a week, but yeah, they just enjoy it, right? It's one of those things, if you're able to connect the right people, it's not work. And they're just like similarly passionate about solving an issue or a challenge. And so that to me is the magic that can happen at scale. And everyone wins, right? Everyone Big wins.
1: time. I really like that. I like that a lot. I think that is one of the things that, you know, as we even think about kind of more broadly, this return to work moment that we're in, the kind of resetting of workplace culture. I do think it is a different way and a different strategy of investing your team for larger corporates, investing your team in the company. It's like, not only are we, you know, your place of employment, you get pride from being here, you get paid from being here, all that stuff, but we are going to be able to foster more meaningful connections for you beyond this company. And and so I, I just feel like the implications for the whole business community startup community, VC community, is really, there's just so many good implications that can come from it, that cross-pollination. Segwaying a little bit here, so also in your time at Google, you worked on uh, this initiative called the Black Angel Group. I'd love to hear a little bit about what BAG did and if there's any, what it was, why it came to be, uh, and maybe some of the exciting investments that you guys made while you were um, working on that initiative.
0: For sure. And the interesting thing there is that was just so aligned with the work that I was already doing in terms of really trying to basically solve the issue of access again, but going upstream, really thinking, okay, we one of the challenges with venture capital is that we also don't have that many underrepresented check writers, right? And yes. there's, there's so few Black check writers in particular. And so for me, it really just started with education. I ran a program called Angel Investing School to really teach other Black Googlers how to angel invest. Mm. And from there, decided one day, hey, there's a lot of power in us doing this together as a community. And so we formed an angel collective, a Black angel group. And that collective has kind of become... Its own thing. Um, a lot of the people are mm. no longer at Google, um, which is awesome. And so uh, people often ask, where where do you see the v- Black Angel Group going in five to 10 years? And for me, it's really awesome to imagine hey, it started with a bunch of folks that started at Google or an alphabet, but now these people have moved on to be just execs, Black execs everywhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then working in yes. all these companies. Yes. And so it's already turning into that. And we'll just continue to expand. And so we announced it uh, publicly in Black History Month of um, 2022, but uh, before that had been working on it for over a year to basically Mm -hmm. launch it, do some early investments, had invested over the course of 2021, had invested a little under a million dollars across companies of, of kind of precede the series A stage. I'm investing alongside kind of some of the bigger names like the, the GVs of the world, the Andreessen's of the world, mm. the Lightspeed Venture Partners of the world. And the awesome part there is we not only help diversify cap tables and kind of the ownership of these companies and making sure there are some black faces there, but I think we're able to also bring Couple things, such awesome, diverse functional expertise. So they're getting so much bang for their buck there, right? You get this army of awesome tech professionals that have such a diverse set of expertise.
1: Mm.
0: But then in addition, we're able to also just like really advise these founders on how to also uh, expand their user base to the Black community as a whole, right? Um, A lot of these founders are building consumer businesses. Honestly, outside of our group, uh, they lack a lot of the kind of direct empathy for. Some of the the consumer bases that they're trying to target, and so we really kind of help bring that perspective as well. And I think ultimately, I'm just so excited about it because it really what it really does is play on the inherent biases of our networks, right? To really, we're we're going to probably disproportionately invest in underrepresented founders because we're under, underrepresented tech writers, and so I think hopefully have mm-hmm. that sort of impact on the ecosystem while also just creating such awesome generational wealth for these Black check writers themselves, which to me was a big driving factor. I think the more I get into venture and the more I've been in venture, the more I see that that's where a lot of the real wealth creation happens, right? Um, learning how to invest your capital time. and kind of really yes. multiply it in these kind of strategic investments. And so it's been so rewarding, probably the most rewarding thing not to downplay any of the other things that I've done, but it's one of the most rewarding things (laughs) that I've done. Definitely outside of my core work, and maybe even inclusive of my core work while I was at Google, because Mm, it is just so, you know, when you just hit something that's magical and it just, it was really great to see. And it's also connecting so many Googlers across geographies, generations. We have Googlers in Europe, uh, black Googlers in Southern Africa, black Googlers across North and South America they're as senior as senior vice presidents at Google, as junior as some folks that are kind of just coming into their Google stock and understanding how they can invest it. And so it's just it's been such an awesome kind of family to build that has, again, that collective mission of just creating generational wealth for the Black community.
1: Yes, the generational wealth piece has come up in every single interview that we've had so far, which isn't surprising. But do you know do you have your own personal thesis around like what are you trying to accomplish with your generational wealth is it like we had an interview not too long ago and and the person we were interviewing who's actually been invested in by the Google Black Founders fund said he's trying to retire two generations with his thinking about his wealth is there something for you that you're like this will be possible for our family or for my community because of what is happening on this uh, with BAG or with my other investments or so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, and this is maybe where my cynical view comes out. I, I think it all starts with where the money is, right? The power flows where the money mm-hmm. is and the influence flows where the money is. And so I think in order to really have equity and then I think in order to really eliminate biases, biases across race, gender, ethnicity, geography, you really have to create equity when it comes to financial equity and I think, or at least eliminate some of those disparities. And so for me, the goal, when people say like, how do we eliminate racism or how do we eliminate discrimination? Well, one, I don't know if we'll ever eliminate it, but the, the, one of the the ways that I think you can really create again, that equity or at least uh, make headway in doing so is by creating that generational wealth within the Black community that can then lead to having more influence across all sectors, right? And across every aspect Definitely. of life. And so, again, it's a little bit a cynical view, but we live in a capitalist society. And I think, like, ultimately, <laughs> it's true. Like
1: It's a realistic view. I think it's a realistic view. And that's, I mean, what do we want? We want, say, in the systems that govern us, right? Like, I, I think it's a very realistic, pragmatic view, and we want power and influence over the systems that govern us. I think that's, it's so obvious, yeah. but it's so, so far away from being realized that it feels, it is a simple statement, but it's so big. Like we know the project of it is is so big. For sure. Yeah. And it's all, all of this stuff, all this feels so intertwined with American history too. And I think we are seeing in real time, like the creation of a new wealth class. It's our hope that we're seeing the creation of a new wealth class not necessarily because it's so great to be wealthy, although it's, it seems pretty chill, but because we want more people to have choices, freedom, opportunity to make decisions about their lives that were not available to them before or might've been available, but just felt completely and wholly out of reach.
0: For sure. And the ability to, to have security so they can take more risk and the ability to have security so they can also have less mental stress, right? And like a lot of things. So I think mm. I think with that, again, to your point, it's not money for just the sake of being rich or having money. It's just that money leads to a lot of security, opportunity, influence. And so I think ultimately that is what I'm hoping for. Like I really want the black community as a whole to have more security, stability, and influence. So this is just one way. And to your point, yes, there are times where it feels incredibly daunting, right? Because the percentages of black check writers are so small. Honestly, the, percentages of Latinx check writers are also equally small women check writers are equally small. So it is really right. a challenge generally to create some diversity within the investment community, but I think you have to start. Right. And like, I think there are, there are some things that can really create exponential change, which I think is great because I think you create a few and then those investors create a few more and those investors create a few more and they invest in more mm. underrepresented founders and those founders, have a certain success rate and some of them become unicorns and some of them then hire more underrepresented employees and so it just it it cascades down and so ultimately that is my hope to just chip away at it even if it's just a few percentage points i think it will have a big input a
1: hundred percent yeah i mean everything that we've looked at i mean for us you know we are focused on specifically equity around race and equity around like generational wealth creation within black and brown communities A lot of it has been, you know, this is a this is part of our moral consciousness. Like this is what it means to really move forward and to set a tone for for this industry, this field that's so new. But someone needs to, you know, be the thought leader there. Someone needs to be advancing a voice that includes all people in this. But it's also a total economic play. Like we know when black business ownership increases, unemployment goes down in that community we know that wealth like black business owners have 12 times the wealth of of black non-business owners we know that black wealth creation adds to the overall uh, creation of wealth in an economy and diversification of an economy so it's it's for us I, i think and i when i'm hearing your comments it sits right on that line of like what is morally just what is economically prudent and what is what has the potential to just be like have seismic impact and i think all three come together and converge when I think about this work of supporting underrepresented
0: founders. 100%. 100%. And I think, yeah. And I think it just, it feels, it also just feels good, right? And so I think all of that, all it just of feels that, good. all of that, is that, I mean, it's true. Like at the end of the day, also like so many of us are, I think it's funny you see, they keep talking about the mass exodus from the workforce right now, particularly the tech workforce, above people just looking for work that they find meaningful. And so that's also something for me mm. personally it's why I was able to work so hard during a global pandemic and all the other things happening personally is because the work just felt so good right and it, at the end of the day yes that work was what made me feel like hey like things aren't so bad because we're making progress in this direction and I'm able to kind of impact these people and mm. again just hearing a founder tell me like hey that one session you did honestly so one thing I did that that I feel really proud of, ab- about is like start just expanding our support to all the things that founders need. And so we, we actually hired both a professional coach and a therapist that our founders can just use on demand. And it's so wonderful to hear our founders say, Hey,
1: that's like, so cool. I had a very
0: tough fourth quarter and that session was a game changing for me, both, not just professionally, but personally. And like that sort of stuff is again, what mm. just, makes the work feel so 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 good. Ugh,
1: oh, I love that I, I love those interventions because they're so tangible. I mean, I guess that's like I mean, we're getting towards towards the end of our time, but I guess one question I have is in your work supporting underrepresented founders running programs for underrepresented founders, are there any tips Ideas that you would give to other people who are running accelerators, venture firms, programs, hubs, et cetera, that are specifically focused on supporting underrepresented founders along lines of gender, race, economic background, ethnicity, so on and so forth. Any tips, any like one to three things you would say you absolutely have to do this?
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I just wish I saw more is just like really focusing on what the founders need at that moment in time and not not what you think they need uh, or what you think will kind of be great for your company or you in terms of your personal branding. So like the example I just gave of deciding, Hey, we we're a tech company and we don't specialize in things like therapy or, or professional coaching, but I knew that was something my founders needed. And I was like, okay, well, let's give them what they need. Right. Because if they don't have those foundational things set, then they're not going to care about some data machine learning workshop that we're giving the next day. Right. And so um, I say one, focus on what your founders need and when they need it. And in that moment, mm-hmm. I think two, a lot of it comes back to access to capital. And so something I always try to think to myself is that our founders are are gracing us with their time, even though we're providing them with something, right? Like at the end of the day, they yeah. have such limited time and, and any mo- minute they spend needs to be a minute that will be worth 10 minutes, right? Or a hundred minutes. And so If I'm forcing them to sit through a workshop or asking them to sit through something, I need to make sure that it has a multiplier effect on their business and on their ability to raise capital and hire and build their business and get more customers. And so I always, that's the lens, I think, with everything. And so I will never have something that is mandatory for my founders i always tell them like hey mm. if you don't i you're my customer and so if you don't think <laughs> that this is worth your time then i need to be changing something not you right like i need to be making it worth your time right and so Heck that's yeah. that's the lens that i apply to all my programs and then i think just generally like not being afraid to think outside the box something we do with our demo days because I just I knew, especially in COVID, it's like why add this additional layer of stress of <laughs> putting them having them worry about is, so my, is my is <laughs> my is my wife especially digitally right? It's like is my Wi-Fi okay? Like where are my kids doing? Oh my like, all gosh! This sort of stuff. Yes. And so I just read it our model. Right? We do kind of what we call like a pre-recorded live. So I definitely still want to give the flavor of live and stuff like that, but like we eliminate the things that are out of their power so that they're not worried about externalities that are out of their control. And so we have the studio do everything. So if something does happen, like the Wi-Fi goes down or something like that, they just start over. That's fine. Right. Um, And then we'll, we'll, we'll then premiere it for our audience. But those are the little things where our founders would say like, Hey, that was the most founder centric founder friendly demo day I've ever been a part of. Because mm. it let me focus on the business aspects of things and the the core part of what I'm doing and not have to worry about, hey, again, like, are, are my kids going to come I, run in? Yeah, yeah my, my presentation run in? Exactly. skill.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. yeah. Who's going to run through the background? Exactly. I mean, that, how many people's children and dogs and cats and things did we see and spouses did we see during the pandemic? Yes, I think for a lot of people, I find that super endearing, but there is a certain kind of investor. Uh, or, you know, even target customer who could be out there who would find that unprofessional. So I love that it's about like setting people up for success while acknowledging all the tremendous circumstances that we bring to the table as humans. I think that's what I've admired about the programs is how human centered and connection rich they are for the founders themselves.
0: I And, I agreed and I'll and. And at the end of the day, also, I'm just like so proud of this group of folks and so proud to look at this community. We had an alumni event. We do a lot of alumni events for our founders. And we have one recently that I crashed. And it's just so awesome (laughs) to see it grow and now be hundreds of founders that are all kind of connected, right, on a personal level, able to actually have other founders like them that they're able to also commiserate with or share highs and lows with that they didn't have before. And again, kind of going back to where we started, like eliminating... The barrier of proximity, right? That yes. You do not have to be living in Palo Alto to have a network of founders, investors, and support. You should and can, um, or sorry, I guess can and should be anywhere, <laughs> um, be able to be anywhere because also there are opportunities everywhere. And so, like, if yes. everything is built yes. for Palo Alto, then that is building for a, the incredibly small percentage of the world, right? And so, <laughs> yeah, it just makes me excited and proud to see what kind of was able to be accomplished over that time and to see it continue continue on in a very sustainable way.
1: I mean, the founders really are from all over. I, I think that's one of the, I totally agree. And I'll also say, if you are an underrepresented founder in the Bay Area, And you feel like in a dime a dozen, you could be a big fish in a small pond in a market like Nashville or Birmingham or Huntsville. Like we need you here and the ecosystem of of Founders of Color needs you here. So, well, that brings us kind of to the end of what I wanted to talk about. What you're doing now, Jason, I'd love to hear about the Enim Fund and what, what started it, how you're going about it now, how if it all over it intersects or overlaps with. BAG, like what are you working on?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately I've always, I always knew that like raising a fund and kind of doing something would be my, I guess, entrepreneurial experience or founder experience. Cause I, I think for me, I was gather as much data as possible, gather as many learnings as possible, kind of do R&D on other people's dime and then learn how to do it and then do it all well. And so with mm. An- with Annam, our goal was really set up a fund again that really had those same themes of access and breaking down the barrier of proximity. So it's global uh, in nature, which there are very few funds that kind of start off global. And we had a lot of people questioning, could we really do that? But um mm. it, that was something that was super important to me. Like I, I don't want, and it's again important to just who I am, my values. But I don't want someone to feel like they need to live or move to a certain place to have access, um, especially mm. if they're doing great work. And so. So it's global in nature, really um, focused on pre-seed and seed investments, but then we actually have a notable amount, 80% of our capital uh, allocated for following on to those companies and really concentrating on supporting companies to success, right? So getting in early, rolling up our sleeves, bringing in our networks, kind of what I was saying earlier, being able to connect. You need a property tech expert and you're based in Brazil or you're (laughs) based in uh, (laughs) sub-Saharan Africa, then you shouldn't have to only look in Lagos, right? For your property tech expert. so really creating this ecosystem. And so a lot of it obviously is leveraging a lot of the work and brand, and personal brand and kind of network that I've built over the last few years, but really bringing that to our founders. And so it's been fantastic. We have investments across five continents currently. Whoa, yes. And really, as we said before, although we're not specifically focused on any specific underrepresented group, our numbers for representation outperform pretty much any fund that I know of in terms of all lenses, right? Where it comes to mm. ethnicity, gender, geography, et cetera. And so that's something I'm really incredibly proud about because I'm uh, proud of, because I think traditionally venture capital has been, as I said earlier, a little bit inherently lazy or kind of taking <laughs> the easy path of yeah. who's in my, who's around me, who do I see at the gym or who do I see in the coffee shop or who I, who do my kids go to school with? And so I think for us, we really want to be intentional about, uh, again, finding the best people for those problems, the biggest problems and the best people solving those problems, regardless of where they are. And really yeah. supporting them to turn their ideas, as, as I mentioned earlier, as best supporting actors from ideas to large businesses. And so that's where we're at. And i fun. Really excited. Anum is Latin, uh, the Latin root for the word. That is included in words like animation, but it really means to bring to life and bring spirit to And So we were really, really excited to kind of bring to life and bring spirit to kind of our vision.
1: Yes. And I feel like, you know, you've dropped so many gems and things. And if people didn't know about, you know, Google's founder support programs and the Women's Accelerator and the Black Founders Accelerator and Black Founders Academy, like, please check those out. They are very, very they're always looking for people, and everyone I know who's been through a program that Jason was previously over has had just like tremendous things to say. And so definitely check that out, Jason. If you um want people to get in touch with you, like who are you looking for with A&M fund? Are you looking for, you know, investors? Are you looking for companies? Like what kind of companies are you looking for? What kind of investor? How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in finding out more about what you're doing?
0: Yeah, I always jokingly say we're just looking for. The best humans. Um, and so ultimately, <laughs> again, we are looking, we created an ecosystem and have created an ecosystem. So whether you're a founder, and regardless of where you are as a founder, location wise, if you're an early stage founder, uh, we love to hear more about what you're building. If you're an investor, uh, we'd love to hear more about wh- what you invest in and how we can potentially partner or send you awesome companies or kind of support your companies. And even if you're uh, going even more upstream, if you're just someone who wants to invest in venture capital and invest in our vision. We love to hear from you as well. We often have, we often jokingly say that we have the best LPs in the world. Um, and so we're always looking for a limited partners to kind of join our vision. So anyone, mm. everyone feel free to reach out. You can either reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. This is one that I check often or uh, via email, Jason at Anum Fund. So A-N-I-M-F-U-N-D.com. And would love to connect.
1: Beautiful. Um, this was awesome. We're coming to the end. I think we're officially done with our questions, but this was great. Jason, like anything we didn't hit on that you wanted to hit on anything that like we didn't touch.
0: No, I mean, I guess in closing and uh, particularly for the founders out there that are just getting started, I wouldn't tell particularly my underrepresented founders that they disproportionately ask for support and help. So I often say be bold and be audacious in in asking for help because there are a lot of people out there like me who are excited to help you.
1: Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Well, Jason, we thank you so much for spending time with us and everyone, if you are not familiar with Jason Scott, I hope you get familiar with Jason Scott. He is an iconoclast and just like all around good people. So we so appreciate you for spending your time with us and thank you for the work that you're doing to support underrepresented founders, really the next wave of founders that are coming up in the world. So we'll talk to you super soon, I hope.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Twin Day, Rethinking Entrepreneurship, a podcast that features conversations with incredible Black and Latinx business experts, investors, and other successful founders located throughout Tennessee and other parts of the United States. We want this show to support you and reflect the realities that entrepreneurs face every day. So your feedback is much appreciated. For a recap and transcript of this episode, and to learn more about the Nashville Entrepreneur Center, including the Twin Day program, go to twindaytn.co slash podcast. That's T-W-E-N-D-E-T-N dot C-O slash podcast. If you learned something from today's episode, please follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you again to the David and Rebecca Clements family for the generous support that makes this podcast possible. Until next time. Can you imagine starting a company in a closet and later selling it for over $20 million? If you're on the entrepreneurial journey or have an interest in learning more about Nashville's business pioneers, Nashville Entrepreneur Center has a show for you. Circle Back captures Nashville's most innovative entrepreneurs to share their stories and give back to the next generation. You'll hear equal parts inspiration and practical insight from some of the city's most exceptional entrepreneurs as they recount the defining moments of their journeys, Listen to new and past episodes on demand at ec.co slash podcast or search for Circle Back wherever you listen to podcasts. You don't have to start and grow your business alone. Come down to the EC and work with fellow entrepreneurs. For more information, visit ec.co. That's ec.co.